Hello, my friends. It's May 16th, 2022. My name is Chris, and you are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. We got uh, quite a bit to cover today. Um, we got uh, an interesting uh, bit of information that I wanted to bring to you guys. Were you guys aware that Woodstock happened during a pandemic? Neither was I. Um, we've got the Tories saying that the vaccine data in Canada needs to be reviewed and investigated. Joe Rogan calling uh, Justin Trudeau a creepy fascist dictator. <laughs> and we're going to um, we're going to uh, deep dive into what exactly the Russians are saying about the military biological activities of the United States within Ukraine. But first, and then we're also going to, uh, we're going to do another deep dive into um, the WEF's uh, pandemic treaty that they're they're, they're getting close to uh, start their meetings on. I believe that is on May 22nd. So if you haven't written your MP or your MLA about this one, make sure you're on that one because we have to, we have to really push that we are not going to hand over our sovereignty, especially our medical sovereignty to an unelected board, um, global board that thinks that they have the right over over our medical sovereignty and our liberty and our choice to choose. No, we're not down with that. <laughs> anyway, my friends, what I wanted to do first was I wanted to, started, uh, wanted to start this one with an Epoch Times article and the title reads, Tory COVID-19 critic says vaccine data deaths must be investigated. This is by Isaac Tao and it was written today, May 16th, 2022. It's time to scrutinize COVID-19 vaccine data, including related deaths, so that an unbiased analysis can be presented and Canadians can make an informed decision on whether or not to take the shots, says Stephen Ellis, a Conservative MP and his his party's special advisor on COVID-19. Speaking as a parliamentarian, a physician who worked on a COVID-19 unit and And as a Canadian, I believe we have the responsibility to understand the adverse events related to this new group of vaccinations, said Ellis in the House of Commons on May 13th. We need to understand the data as it pertains to Canada, the world, and short and long-term safety, he said. Ellis, who serves as the Tory's Deputy Shadow Minister of Health, has been a family physician in uh, Truro, Nova Scotia, for the last 22 years. He also served as a medical lead for COVID-19 response in the Nova Scotia's Health Authority's Northern Zone. In his speech to parliamentarians, he cited the case of Stephen McDougall, a 45-year-old man uh, and athlete who Ellis said died after receiving a vaccination for COVID-19 nearly a year ago. Ellis said, given the 11.5 billion doses of COVID-19 vaccines, um, given that 11.5 billion doses of COVID-19 vaccines have been distributed worldwide, and the data has been and the data has and the data has been collected, now is the time for all of us in the house to act. The data needs to be properly analyzed so we can present this scientific information to Canadians, Canadians to enable them to make informed choices and give informed consent going forward. He said. A total of 336 deaths have been documented by Health Canada following vaccination in Canada as as of April 29th. Mm-hmm. Don't know if I believe that at all. <clears throat> Carrying on. 
Although these deaths occurred after being vaccinated with a COVID-19 vaccine, they are not necessarily related to the vaccine, the report said on May 13th. In total, about 45,000 cases of of adverse cases have been reported out of nearly 84 million total doses administered. One of these adverse cases... Of these adverse cases, 9,421 are considered serious, said the report, referring to the statistics uh, compiled up to April 29th. Meanwhile, some health Canada, uh, some healthcare professionals are objecting that the healthcare system in Canada is not properly tracking COVID-19 vaccine injuries. The fact that the fact that the vaccines are experimental should mean they should be very, very vigilant about any possible adverse effect you should have a much higher index of suspicion of harm from an experimental treatment than from something else that has been around for years, Dr. Charles Hof, a BC-based physician, told the Epoch Times in a previous interview. So, we have a shadow minister. Very interesting that we have a shadow minister uh, you know, speaking out about this in the House of Commons. Albeit he's a shadow minister, it doesn't really matter. This this is the type of rhetoric that needs to be happening in Canadian politics. Um, should have been happening before these vaccines even rolled out. Now we've got way more data. Like you heard them say that they're they're saying that uh, a total of 336 deaths have been documented by Health Canada following vaccination in Canada as of April 29th. I don't believe that for a second. I believe that um, the deaths in Canada are being completely covered up. You know, um, in my hometown alone, I can, like, there, is a, there was a funeral today for a 47-year-old acquaintance of mine, someone that I knew, that I believe was triple vaccinated. It might have only been double. And uh, there was also a heart attack of another person I'm, I'm aware of. There was a young girl. This is all within the last week, my friends. There was a young girl in the school that uh, claimed she couldn't see anymore and then lost consciousness. Uh, and didn't know who or where she was. And once she came to, this is a girl in grade 11, and uh, two heart attacks in the last seven days. Two fatal heart attacks. In just in just my, my local small community in southeast Saskatchewan in the last seven days, that's what's happened. All of these people are, are triple and double vaccinated. And Health Canada is saying that there's only been 336 deaths attributed to the vac- to the vaccine. I can tell you of uh, two deaths in my little 500 people, 500 person community in the last week that I could I can pretty much guarantee are a result uh, of this shot. Like I said, the one guy was 47 years old. His funeral was today where I am. And he, uh, in the morning, I guess he just, t- he told one of his boys that he didn't feel well. And he went, he went and laid down and his boy checked on him in a few hours and he was gone. His boy tried to, uh, tried CPR to revive him. His boy, his, I believe it was his youngest. So he had three boys. He left behind three boys and a wife. And, uh, now they got to grow up and get married and, and have all their milestones of their life without their father. Is it, can I, can I accurately prove that it was because of the shots no i can't and that's how they that's how they loophole all of this that's why they can get away with saying that there's only been 336 deaths um as a result of these shots because they can always bring in some other condition or or reason for the death but i can tell you like you guys have heard me say this before in my little community we used to see the ambulance about once a week 
And uh, for those of you that are unaware, in the southeast corner of Saskatchewan, there's a whole cluster of communities kind of by Estevan and Weyburn. They're all 10, 15 minutes apart, and we all share healthcare. And, and uh, you know, one, one town has a hospital, the other town has a clinic, um, one town has an ambulance. So you kind of have an idea um, in, in this little area, you know, how busy... You just know, like where where my uh, office is situated, it's right at the junction where the ambulance has to turn off onto the highway. <laughs> so, like I was saying, we used to see the ambulance about once a week prior to the vaccine rollout. Now we are seeing it three to four times a day, three to four times a day, my friends. So tell me that there isn't something changing within the population. You've got the insurance companies stateside telling you that there's a forty percent rise in in deaths in working age people. 18 to 65. That's staggering. Absolutely staggering. But this is information we've all gone through together before, so we're not going to get into it again. But I can tell you, just sitting in my little corner of the world, I can tell you that there is definitely something going on. It's definitely affecting my community. Okay, my friends, let's get the show started. We'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. Welcome back, my friends. What I want to do next is turn your attention over to True North. And the title of this one reads, Joe Rogan calls Justin Trudeau a creepy fucking dictator. (laughs) Excuse me. I got to just take that in. That's good stuff right there. This is by Cosman DeSerzda, and it was written on May 13th, 2022. Popular U.S. uh, podcaster Joe Rogan has blasted Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for his attacks against Canadian truckers during the February Freedom Convoy protest in Ottawa. Rogan called Trudeau a creepy fucking dictator in an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience with Canadian academic and 
author Gad Saad. On Thursday, saying the Prime Minister's behavior uh, belies Canada's friendly reputation and his own nice guy image. People were friendlier. It seemed like a great system. But then, when you have a creepy fucking dictator for a Prime Minister, that's what he is, the way he behaves, the way he behaved during this, this thing, the disingenuous way that he communicated, it freaked me out. Because I never thought that guy was like that, said Rogan. Rogan went after Trudeau for attacking truckers with no provocation before invoking the Emergencies Act to quash the peaceful demonstrations against overreaching COVID-19 mandates. I thought he was a handsome fella, a good with a good vocabulary and seemed like a nice guy, said Rogan. Before he really learned, before he really leaned into the woke stuff, I thought he was a kind, sensitive guy, and I thought that's probably a good disposition to be a leader. The way he did it, the way he cast a proverbial label on them with no evidence, with no provocation. It was just like, I'm going to label them this so that I can impose laws to stop them from doing what is essentially a peaceful protest. Rogan was not the only one to criticize Trudeau for his handling of protesters who oppose his policies. During a House House of Commons uh, Public Safety Committee meeting on Thursday, Former, former Deputy Minister of National Defence and Security Advisor Richard Fadden told parliamentarians that Trudeau went too far with his rhetoric when labelling protesters. I don't think that attacking views is helpful by anybody, said Fadden. Not by you, not by me, not by the Prime Minister. You can disagree with them, but I think the Prime Minister went a little bit beyond that, and I don't think it's helpful. And it's the sort of thing that reinforces the sense that they're not being listened to. I actually disagree with most of the views that were being expressed in the general context, but that's neither here nor there. We need to find some means of dialoguing. My argument is we cannot start a a priori by arguing that they're wrong. Fadden went on to say that politicians needed to find some way to have discussions with the protesters instead of resorting to extreme measures. Otherwise, he warned, it could drive people to resort to extremism. You can argue they must not engage in violence. That's an entirely different issue. I want to separate that very carefully. You pass that line, you become engaged in violence. You got to do something about it. We need to find a way of talking to him, said Fadden. So I really like the fact that um, Joe Rogan is um, attacking Trudeau on on a world stage. He's got so many listeners to his podcast um he he is changing the world view he has that ability to change the world view of a guy that just masquerades as this friendly happy-go-lucky leader of canada when in reality he is nothing short of a fascist dictator just like his father castro <laughs> he he admires china and his daddy uh was the was a fascist dictator of over cuba so I think Joe Rogan, uh, with his reach, with his, his huge audience, is doing the world a favor by waking them up to the fact that this guy is, is a fascist with nice hair. <laughs> That's really what he is. I'm jealous of his hair. I wish I had more hair. But uh, I would never give up my, uh, my uh, belief system to have Justin Trudeau's hair. So really good on Joe Rogan, big pat on the back for him. Not that he listens to a small podcast like this, but it's great to see um, Joe Rogan uh, just calling it the way he sees it. And, and, it's, and he's, he shares a worldview. Uh, people are waking up to this guy. Nobody's being fooled by the, uh, you know, 
the antics of Justin Trudeau with his over uh, overemphasis on specific vowels. Uh, me personally, I'm probably like a lot of you. I, I can't even listen to Justin Trudeau speak, even though I have to uh, for for this you know for this podcast and to get to bring you know kind of a different view of what he's saying uh, to to like minded people like yourselves. Um, I, I have to listen to his stuff, but I, I always, every time I watch him speak, I always go back to his eulogy of Pierre Elliott Trudeau, where I, I remember seeing it for the first time and saying, this guy is fucked. There is something seriously wrong with this guy. He was relishing in the, the, uh, the attention that he was getting at that eulogy. And he had the exact same mannerisms back then. I believe he was 16 that he does now his weird head movements, his overemphasis with his hands, uh, how he, he, uh, he pauses after like, um, overemphasizing vowels and specific words. And he whips his head around and he does this fake look into the crowd. I just, everything about this guy. Absolutely. I just despise it. I cannot stand listening to him talk. He's so fucking phony. And you know, you guys have heard me kind of go off on this plenty of times. I don't need to revisit all of it, but Justin Trudeau shows just basically landmark signals of being um, probably in a mind control program. Like he's just, he's so disconnected uh, with reality and he lives in this bubble, this dystopian bubble that he, he honestly believes he's virtuous. He really does. He really does. So that's the hardest part about listening to him is he thinks that he's doing the right thing and it's just... I don't know. I don't know how much of the plan, or how much uh, the front uh, globalist puppets are told. Probably just enough um, to to do exactly what I, what I was trying to describe. They're given just enough to to believe that they're actually doing the right thing, and they find people like Justin Trudeau, um, and they, you know, they put him in a mind control program like Project Monarch or MK Ultra. These titles are all now gone, uh, but the, I, I guarantee that the program still still is very alive and well and and functioning and and spitting out world leaders so-called leaders heavy air quotes on leaders like justin trudeau but they give them just enough information to make them believe that they're doing the right thing plus they make them extremely wealthy do you think that justin trudeau had the the wits and the know-how to get himself involved in the lipid nanoparticles out of the uh, university of british columbia no no, look at this guy on a world stage. Like he's so awkward. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the presence uh, to put himself in a situation like that. He was tipped off and he was told, look, we're going to be rolling out shots. We're going to make them mandatory. Uh, you need to get involved on the ground level with this lipid nanoparticles. What you need to do is you get, you need to basically fund it or become a shareholder of this. And you will be, um, you will become wealthy beyond all your, even your highest hopes, which he has through that. I'd like, I haven't looked up his, uh, his, uh, actual net worth in a while, but I'm sure it's probably gone up exponentially or they're lying about it. Odds are they probably wouldn't even report it. But the fact that he is basically your major shareholder in the lipid nanoparticles in all these shots going out globally basically means that Justin Trudeau is probably right up there with Elon Musk, uh, uh, Bill Gates, maybe not to the stature that, that they are as in multi multi billionaires, but he's, he's in the same club where they enrich their own, those that are on the front lines, taking all the risks for them, even though he won't even show his face uh, to peaceful protesters, uh, you know, uh, including uh, children with bouncy castles. I mean, that was absolutely horrifying. There's no way 
any self-respecting dictator would talk to a group like that. What you need to do is label them and then come up with, uh, get your, your state-run media to run stories that then your basically uh, <clears throat> puppets in the police force can then report that they, through the reports, uh, you're seeing uh, activities that would warrant the Emergencies Act. That's exactly what they did. They just loopholed it. Uh, they brought it in through one of their uh, low-level puppets, and then they passed the act. They had a, a low-level officer testify, um, <clears throat> basically, that they had, uh, <clears throat> well, they had read the reports in the paper, so that justified the behavior of the government. You know, if this ever gets investigated, they're all going to go down. Everybody involved in it. But they don't care. They don't care. Look at their behaviors. They don't care. What they do is they just pretend that they don't uh, infringe on the rights of people. And, and they they rely on the fact that people have its attention spans of fleas. And they forget. And that's really all that keeps them going. They stomp all over your rights. They do it right in the public eye, in the public sphere. Nobody does anything about it, uh, except for the fact that they, they cry... Uh, for investigations from from people that are probably involved and uh, they get these investigations nothing becomes of it and then they forget that is the way that modern politics has basically mind controlled the population for probably I'm guessing 60, 70 if not 100 years okay where are we going to next my friends okay what I want to do next is I want to turn your attention over to uh, the American Institute for Economic Research and the title of this reads, Woodstock Occurred in the Middle of a Pandemic. This is by Jeffrey A. Tucker, and it was written May 1st, 2020. So it's a few years old, but I had no idea. I didn't know this. Maybe some of you guys did, but I did not. So we're going to go through this. In my lifetime, there was another deadly flu epidemic in the United States. The flu spread from Hong Kong to the United States, arriving December 1968 and peaking a year later. It ultimately killed 100,000 people in the U.S., mostly over the age of 65, and, no, and 1 million worldwide. Lifespan in the U.S. in those days was 70, whereas to, it, it is 78 today. Population was 200 million as, a compared, as compared to 328 million today. It was also a healthier population with low obesity. Um, if it would be possible to extrapolate the death data based on population and demographics, we might be looking at a quarter million deaths today from this virus. So in terms of lethality, it was as deadly and as scary as COVID-19, if not more so. Though we shall have to wait and see. In 1968-69, says Nathaniel L. Moyer, the... In national interest, the H3N2 pandemic killed more individuals in the U.S. than the combined total number of American fatalities during both the Vietnam and Korean Wars. And this happened in the lifetimes of every American over age 52 years of age. I was five years old and have no memory of this at all. My mother vaguely remembers being careful and washing surfaces and encouraging her mom and dad to be careful, otherwise it's mostly fo forgotten today. Why is that? <clears throat> Nothing was closed by force. Schools mostly stayed open. Businesses did too. You could go to the movies. You could go to the bars and restaurants. John Fund has a friend who reports having attended a Grateful Dead concert. In fact, people having no memory or awareness that the famous Woodstock concert of August 1969, planned in January during the worst period of death, actually occurred during a deadly American flu pandemic that only peaked globally six months later. 
There was no thought given to the virus which, like ours today, was dangerous mainly for a non-concert-going demographic. uh, Stock markets didn't crash because of the flu. Congress passed no legislation. The Federal Reserve did nothing. Not a single uh, governor acted to enforce social distancing, curve flattening, even though hundreds of thousands of people were hospitalized, or banning of crowds. No mothers were arrested for taking their kids to other homes. No surfers were arrested. No daycares were shut down, even though there were more infant deaths with this virus than the one we are experiencing now. There was no suicides, no unemployment, no drug overdoses attributed to the flu. Media covered the pandemic, but it was never a big issue. As Bojan Pankovsky in the Wall Street Journal points out, in 1968 and to 70, news, out, news outlets devoted cursory attention to the virus while training their lenses on the other events such as the moon landing and the Vietnam War, and the cultural upheaval of the civil rights movement, student protests, and the sexual revolution. The only actions governments took was to collect data, which, uh, watch, and wait, encourage testing and vaccines, and so on. The medical community took the primary responsibility for the disease mitigation as one would expect. It was widely assumed that the disease required medical, not political, responses. It's not as if we had governments unwilling to intervene in other matters. <clears throat> we had the Vietnam War, social welfare, public housing, urban renewal, and the rise of Medicare and Medicaid. We had a president swearing to cure all poverty, illiteracy, and disease. Government was as intrusive as it had ever been in, the, in history. But for some reason, there was no thought given to, sh- to shutdowns. Which raises the question, why was this different? Will we be trying to figure out this one? Will we be trying to figure this one out for decades? <clears throat> was the difference that we had a mass media that we had mass media invading our lives with endless notifications blowing up in our pockets? Was there some change in philo- uh, philosophy, such as such that we now think politics is responsible for all existing aspects of life? Was there a political element here? that the media blew this widely out of proportion as a revenge against Trump and his deplorables? Or did we ex- uh, or did we excessive adoration of our predictive modeling get out of control to the point that we let physicists with ridiculous models frighten the world's governments into violating human rights of billions of people? Maybe all these were factors, or maybe there is something darker and nefarious at work, as the conspiracy theorists, uh, theorists would have it. Regardless, they all have some explaining to do. By way of personal recollection, my own mother and father were part of the generation that believed they had developed sophisticated views of viruses. They understood that less vulnerable people getting them not only strength... uh, They understood that less vulnerable people getting them not only strengthened immune system, but contributed to disease mitigation by reaching herd immunity. They had a whole protocol to make a child feel better about being sick. I got a sick toy, unlimited ice cream, Vic rubs on my chest, and a humidifier in my room, and so on. They would constantly congratulate me on building immunity. They did their very best to be happy about my viruses while doing their best to get me through them. If we used government lockdowns like we use them now, Woodstock, which changed music forever and still resonates today, would have never occurred. How much prosperity, culture, tech, etc. are we losing in this calamity? What happened between then and now? Was there some kind of lost knowledge as happened with scurvy when we once had sophisticated and then the knowledge was lost? 
uh, and then and had to be refound. For COVID-19, we reverted to medieval-style understanding and policies. Even in the 21st century, it's all very strange. The contrast between 1968 and 2020 couldn't be more striking. They were smart. We are idiots, or at least our governments are. Okay, Reuters News serve uh, Reuters News Service fact-checked this article as true, then downgraded it to partially true and finally to misleading. Even as the USA Today has called this article true, Reuters finally took issue with the dating of the waves of infection and death, as if anyone at the time could see that happening at the time, much less plan for them. Phil Magnus, in addition, has discovered that the medics were on hand precisely due to the virus concerns. So, very interesting to say the least. Um, Were you aware that Woodstock happened during a, uh, a pandemic? I wasn't either. Uh, the H3N2 pa- pandemic happened during Woodstock. And we just basically used common sense and uh, <clears throat> the knowledge that we have of viruses that we've had, we still have to this day, people have it, governments don't, that uh, <clears throat> if you're healthy, if you're healthy and you're not really at risk for uh, um, a flu virus or a mundane virus like COVID-19 to, to really... Um, compromise your health to a degree where it could potentially kill you then the odds odds are if you get it your immune system will be stronger because of it this is this is this is common sense that our parents and their parents and their parents before them before vaccines were around people were well aware that if you got and survived an illness that you would have natural immunity to it our governments and our health authorities seem to have forgotten that in the modern age but we the people have not so it's a very good inch, a very good look back into history uh, to prove that we weren't nearly as idiotic about things as we are now. You guys are witnessing people every day still driving alone in their cars with masks. Like we haven't even begun to un- open the Pandora's box of mental health damage we have done to a significant number in our population. Like these people will never ever because of this ever be able to live without some level of fear. And how do you even start to treat that in people? If you want my opinion, you blow the lid completely off it and you, and you show them that the, the governments and health authorities lied about all of it. That's how you do it. But will they ever accept it? We're talking about per- perpetual victims. A lot of these people, they want to be victims. <clears throat> this kind of falls back into the, you know, the 5% of people that just can't handle the truth when it rolls out. Uh, they'll just never be able to accept the reality. And these will be the people throwing themselves off buildings or hanging themselves in their basement because they want, they want to be dependent. They want to be victims. They love this. These are also your, uh, this is also the same group of people that is pushing, um, transgenderism in schools. These are perpetual victims. They're, they're basically promoting that if you are confused about your sexuality, then that makes you special. And uh, that uh, <laughs> heterosexual people are the ones to blame. They are keeping you down. It's it's crazy. It's so stupid. It's hard to. It's hard for me to even talk about that agenda, the the trans agenda going on in the schools without like just. I, I get. I, I have a hard time. I, I I sometimes I honestly believe that stupid is contagious, and when you talk about specific topics, it makes you dumber. <laughs> so I, I really have a hard time talking about that one because it's so stupid. It really is so stupid. There really are only two genders. You and I and everybody that listens to this show knows that. And 
we've never our our specific group of people um not that i i am um labeling you guys but people that you know have open minds which typically are the people that listen to podcasts like this have never once given a fuck about anybody else's sexuality you can do whatever you want you guys have heard me say this before you can be attracted to fucking washing machines for all i care if you treat me good i'm gonna treat you good it's that simple it's really that simple and there's very few of us that don't have at least one gay member of our family whoopty fucking do you know it's 2022 uh that before governments decided that uh that we needed to be inclusive uh society had already had that one figured out a long time ago that it's just basically respect everybody treat everybody as you want to be treated who cares if they're gay straight bi or now trans nobody cares about that nobody cares except for the people that are screaming from the rooftops that they need to be special because of it these are perpetual victims they have to be recognized and if you don't recognize them then you are oppressing them this is victimhood 101 we need we need to start just recognizing it for what it is these are victims they want to be victims these are the same people driving around with car with masks in their cars by themselves <laughs> They all fall, like we're starting to, we're, we're, we're starting to get the thousand eye view, the bird's eye view, and we can start seeing exactly what these people are. And if you really want my, my opinion, they're perpetual victims. It doesn't matter what their cause is. Uh, they need someone to blame and they need to, they need someone to blame for their shortcomings in life. And they need someone to, to, to claim as an oppressor for their, for the reasons that they failed. These are people that these are people that were handed out participation ribbons in school. It all starts with that. Kids are not learning failure. Uh, kids are being passed even though they suck in school. Uh, they need to be failed. Kids need to learn failure. Uh, the only way to success is to fail. It's really the only way. And how you conduct yourself after or during a failure is is who you are. It determines who you are. Adversity determines who you are. It's not when everything's going great and that's that's who you are. It's how you handle yourself in a situation that you didn't see coming or you lose everything or everything is just upside down and fucked in your world. But you still have the um, you still have the presence to be kind to everybody else around you. Those are true people. Those are leaders. Oh boy. It, it's one of those tangent shows, <laughs> but I mean, it's true. And I, I'm sure you guys probably agree. All right, my friends, what I want to do next is I want to turn your attention to information coming out of Russia for of what's really actually going on in Ukraine. Um, this kind of ties back into an old show that we did that uh, you have to listen to both sides of the, of, you know, whether you're for with the Ukrainians or you're, you're pro Russian, wherever you stand on this, you have to listen to both sides while we get, we get the um, global aside every day through our evening news, through our news on the radio. We're getting bombarded with the propaganda, so we get we know their side. What we're not being told is what the Russians are saying. So that's why this show will actually tell you what the Russians are saying. Now, this is a briefing. Uh, the title of this is Briefing on the Results of the Analysis of Documents Related to the Military Biological Activities of the United States on the Territory of Ukraine. This was released on May 11th, 2022. The Russian Defense Ministry continues to study materials on the implementation of military biological programs of the United States and its NATO allies on the territory of Ukraine. We have already mentioned Robert Pope, Director 
of the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program and the author of the idea of the Central uh, Depository of Highly Dangerous Microorganisms in Kiev. In his statement of April 10th, 2022, Pope said that there is no reason to claim that research related to the development of biological weapons is taking place in Ukraine. He previously claimed that the Americans did not find biological weapons when they first started working with Ukraine, and they still haven't. In addition, Ukraine lacks the infrastructure to develop and produce biological weapons. I would like to recall that the term biological weapons includes biological formations that contain uh, pathogenic microorganisms and toxins, as well as the means of delivery and use of said formulations. While the, pri- while the priority for Ukrainian healthcare is socially significant diseases such as HIV, poliomyelitis, measles, and hepatitis, U.S. customers are interested in a completely different nomenclature, cholera, uh, <clears throat> tularmia, plague, and hantavirus. As a result of the special military operation on the territory of Ukraine, facts of work with special... Uh, facts of work with the special pathogens, which are potential agents of biological weapons, have been revealed. At the same time, it was noticed that Ukraine had sent a request to the manufacturing company regarding the possibility of equipping Bayraktar drones with aerosol equipment. <clears throat> In addition, on March 9th, three unnamed aerial vehicles equipped with 30-liter containers and equipment for spraying formulations were detected by Russian reconnaissance units in Kherson region, in the Kherson region. At the end of April 10th, more, than, uh, more were found near uh, Kakhova. All this information calls into question the statements of American experts. We have previously provided a scheme for U.S. coordination of biological laboratories and research institutes in Ukraine. Its preliminary analysis suggests that Ukraine is essentially a testing ground for the development of biological weapon components and the testing of new samples of pharmaceuticals. The Russian Ministry of Defense was able to clarify the said scheme. <clears throat> Excuse me. It should be noted that the ideologues of the U.S. military bio- biological activities in Ukraine are the leaders of the Democratic Party. Boom. You know who they are. <laughs> That's uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, all of them. Thus, through the U.S. executive branch, a legislative framework for funding military biomedical research directly from the federal budget was formed. Funds were raised under the state uh, guarantees from NGOs controlled by the Democratic Party leadership, including the investment funds of the Clintons, Rockefellers, Soros, and Biden. The scheme involves major pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer, Moderna, Merck, and the U.S. military-affiliated company, uh, Gilead. U.S. experts are working to test new medicines that circumvent international safety standards. As a result, Western companies are seriously reducing the cost of research programs and gaining a significant competitive advantage. The involvement of controlled, non-governmental, and biotechnical organizations and the increase in their revenues allows the leaders of the Democratic Party to generate additional campaign finance and hide its distribution. In addition to the U.S. pharmaceutical companies and Pentagon contractors, Ukrainian state agencies are involved in military bioweapons activities whose main tasks are to conceal illegal activities, conduct field and clinical trials, and provide the necessary biomaterial. Thus, the U.S. Department of Defense, using a virtually international uncontrolled test site, 
<clears throat> and the high-tech facilities of multinational companies has greatly expanded its research capabilities, not only in the field of biological weapons, but also in gaining knowledge about antibiotic resistance and the antibodies to specific diseases in populations in specific regions. It should be noted that not only the U.S., but a number of its NATO allies are implementing their military biological projects in Ukraine. The German government has decided to launch a national biosafety program independent of Washington, D.C. starting in 2013. Twelve countries, including Ukraine, are involved in the program. On the German side, the program involves the Institute for Armed Forces Microbiology, Munich, and the Robert Koch Institute in Berlin, the Loeffler Institute in Greifswald, and the Notch Institute for Tropical Medicine in Hamburg. New documents revealed that between 2016 and 2019 alone, 3,500 blood serum samples of citizens living in 25 regions of Ukraine were taken by military epidemiologists from the Bud, Bud's Weir Microbiology Institute. The involvement of institutions subordinate to the Bi uh, Bundeswehr confirms the military orientation of biological research carried out in Ukraine la Ukrainian laboratories and raises questions about the goals pursued by the German armed forces in collecting biomaterials of Ukrainian citizens. The documents obtained also show the involvement of Poland in Ukrainian bio laboratories, <clears throat> the participation of the Polish Institute of Veterinary Medicine in research aimed at assessing the epidemiological threats and spread of the rabies virus in Ukraine has been confirmed. Char uh, char Characteristically, the research in question was carried out jointly with the U.S.-based uh, Battelle Institute, a key contractor for the Pentagon. In addition, Polish funding of, for the Lvov Medical University, which includes a member of the U.S. military bio biology proje projects, the Institute of Epidemiology and Hygiene, has been documented. <clears throat> the organization has been running a retaining program for specialists with experience of working with dual-use materials and technologies since 2002. The special military operation by Ukrainian troops succeeded in obtaining additional information about bio-incidents in Ukraine. For example, materials indicating the international use of multidrug-resistant tuberculosis pathogen in 2020 to infect the population of, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one, Slavyanoserbsky district of the LRP were examined. The flyer made in the form of counterfeit currency notes which uh, were infected with the tuberculosis agent and distributed to miners in Stepovo village. The organizers of this crime took into account the behavior of children who had a habit of putting everything in their mouths and taking food with unwashed hands. The results of the bacteriological studies have configured the resistance of the isolated bacteria to first and second, second line anti-TB drugs meaning that the disease caused by, <clears throat> caused by them is much more difficult to treat and the cost of treatment is much higher. According to the conclusion of the Lugansk Republic Sanatory and Epidemiological Station, the contamination of the notes was most likely carried out artificially as the materials contained extremely dangerous strains of the pathogen in concentrations capable of ensuring infection and development of the tuberculosis process. In his conclusion, the chief doctor of uh, Lugansk Republic TB Dispensary also notes that there are all signs of deliberate man-made contamination of the flyers with highly pathogenic biomaterial. We previously, 
reported on trials of potentially dangerous biological drugs on one of the least protected categories of people, patients of the Kharkov Regional Clinical um, Clinical Physio, uh, Psychiatric Hospital Number Three. We have received new information revealing details of the Pentagon's inhuman experience on Ukraine inhuman experiments on Ukrainian citizens in psychiatric hospital number one, Stretlek village and Kharkov region. The main category of subjects was a group of male patients aged 40 to 60 years with high stage of physical exhaustion. In order to conceal their, the U S affiliation, the biological research experts traveled via third countries. Here is a photograph of Florida native Linda Oparto, who was directly involved in these works. In January 2022, the foreign nationals conducting the experiments were evacuated in an emergency and the equipment and drugs they were using were taken to western Ukraine. Russian Defense Ministry specialists have carried out work directly in two bio laboratories in Mariupol. Evidence of emergency destruction of documents confirming work with the U.S. military establishment was obtained. A A preliminary analysis of Exant documentation indicates that the use of the of Mariupol as a regional center for cholera pathogen collection and certification. The selected strains were sent to the public health center in Kiev, which is responsible for the onward shipment of biomaterials to the United States. These activities have been carried out since 2014 as evidenced by the transfer of state of strains. An act of destruction of the pathogens collected dated February 25th, 2022, according to the According to which cholera, uh, <clears throat> Tula Maria, and anthrax pathogens were handled there, was found in the sanitary and epidemiological laboratory. Part of the collection of the vet- part of the collection of the veterinary laboratory was not destroyed in a hurry. In order to ensure safety and secure storage, 124 strains were exported by Russian specialists, and their study was organized. The presence in the collection of pathogens. Uh, that are uncharacteristic of veterinary medicine, such as typhoid, uh, perityphoid fever, and gas gangrene, is a cause for concern. This could indicate the laboratory's misuse and involvement in military biological program in a military bi- biological program. We will continue to examine the full volume of materials received from the Mariupol bio laboratories and will inform you of the results. The Russian Ministry of Defense has, inf- has information that provocations are being prepared to accuse the Russian armed forces of, being, of using weapons of mass destruction, followed by a Syrian scenario investigation to fabricate, to fabricate, fabricate <laughs> the necessary evidence to assign blame. The high likelihood of such prov- uh, provocations is confirmed by requests from the Kiev administration for personal skin and respiratory protection equipment that provides protection against toxic chemicals and biological contaminating agents. The supply to Ukraine and of <clears throat> organ phosphorus poisoning antidotes raises concerns. In 2022 alone, more than 220,000 am- ampoles of atropine uh, of atropine, as well as preparations for the special treatment and disinfection, were delivered to the USA at the request of the Ukrainian Ministry of Health. Were delivered from the USA at the request of the Unis- uh, Ukrainian Ministry of Health. Thus, the information obtained confirms the United States is, impl- is implementing an offensive military biological program in Ukraine to study the possibility of forming controlled epidemics in specific territories. 
The special military operation of the Russian Armed Forces has crossed the U.S. military biological expansion in Ukraine and stopped criminal experiments on civilians. Boom. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So the Russians have all this. Or they're claiming to have it. So I guess I'll always keep one foot behind you. I got to give a shout out to Farmhand. It was him that actually found this and posted it in the Telegram room. And then I found the, uh, <clears throat> through his through his link, I found another link that led, it, led us to this statement uh, by the Russians. The Russian military defense. So this is what the Russians are telling um, <clears throat> their people and the world if the world would just listen. Is it a stretch to believe that the U.S. is involved in basically making pathogens to target specific types of people. Now, what, what that means is uh, basically every genome uh, uh, or your, gen- your genetic genome. So let's say you're, you're a native and I'm, and I'm uh, uh, Caucasian. What they're, what they're telling you is, is they can target specific, specific groups of people. So in Ukraine, they basically took the blood of all, you know, 220,000 Ukrainians uh, likely because they wanted to target the Russian population within Ukraine. So, but don't let that, don't let that fool you. Uh, they probably figured out how to target every specific, um, I guess, race is the best, easiest way to say it on the globe. And I bet you they did it before this. I bet you they were just perfecting it with specific types of, uh, they're perfecting it with every type of pathogen is what they were doing in Ukraine. So they could they can make you they can make you immobilized they can make you sick or they could kill you specific groups within society if that doesn't horrify you uh, I don't know what will and you know right now it would seem <clears throat> that they really do not like white people in North America <laughs> so if if the U S government is involved in this who do you think they would target like like they haven't targeted everybody enough with vaccines. But my guess would be they'd probably try to attempt to take out uh, the white population in North America. <clears throat> would be my guess. Now, I, I, I could be 100% wrong. Uh, we know that the, these eugenicists are, are very, very racist. So maybe, maybe they would target uh, black and native communities. I don't know. I really don't know. But the fact that the U.S. is, is involved, U.S., Poland, and Germany is involved in this research, <clears throat> not good, my friends. Not good at all. So this actually ties into the next article that I wanted to close this show out with. And this one is titled, Everything You Need to Know About the World Health Organization or, or Organization's Orwellian Pandemic Treaty. This comes to us by way of the expose, and it was uh, written on May 13th, 2022. So if you think about the U.S. actually, um, U.S., Germany, and Poland, uh, researching how to infect specific groups of people worldwide with specific pathogens, um, and you've got the WHO uh, wanting to overreach national sovereignty when it comes to pandemic uh, classification and uh, uh, not uh, and and medical sovereignty uh, through pandemic classification. Um, it, it all groups together quite nicely when you start thinking about it. So uh, this one has one of those read-along things. Uh, the article is quite long, so this is another twenty minutes. We're going to be listening to this, so let's get into it and then we'll chat about it after. You need to know about the World Health Organization's Orwellian Pandemic Treaty. The World Health Organization has started drafting a global pandemic treaty on pandemic preparedness that would grant it absolute power over global biosecurity, such as the power to implement digital identities/vaccine passports, 
mandatory vaccinations, travel restrictions, standardized medical care and more. By Dr. Jay McCola, the globalists that brought us the wildly exaggerated COVID pandemic in an effort to cement a biosecurity grid into place is now hard at work on the next phase of this new world order. The World Health Organization has started drafting a global pandemic treaty on pandemic preparedness that would grant it absolute power over global biosecurity, such as the power to implement digital identities slash vaccine passports, mandatory vaccinations, travel restrictions, standardized medical care and more. In the Corbett Report 1,2 above, independent journalist James Corbett reviews what this treaty is, how it will change the global landscape and strip you of some of your most basic rights and freedoms. Make no mistake, the WHO pandemic treaty is a direct attack on the sovereignty of its member states, as well as a direct attack on your bodily autonomy. A backdoor to global governance as noted by anti-extremism activist Marjid Nawaz in an April 28, 2022, Twitter post, 3 The WHO pandemic treaty serves as a backdoor to global empire. COVID-19, while potentially deadly to certain vulnerable groups, simply isn't a valid justification for handing over more power to the WHO, especially in light of its many inexplicable mistakes in this and previous pandemics. As just one example, the WHO didn't publicly admit SARS-CoV-2 was airborne until the end of December 2021,4 yet scientists knew the virus was airborne within weeks of the pandemic being declared. Five, the WHO also ignored early advice about airborne transmission. Six, so, it seems clear that the effort to now hand over more power to the WHO is about something other than them being the most qualified to make health decisions that benefit and protect everyone. It seems far more likely that the WHO is being installed as a de facto governing body for the global deep state. Seven through the WHO, under the guise of biosecurity, the globalist cabal who seek to own everything and control everyone, will then be able to implement their wishes across the whole world in one fell swoop. With this treaty in place, all member nations will be subject to the WHO's dictates. If the WHO says every person on the planet needs to have a vaccine passport and digital identity to ensure vaccination compliance, then that's what every country will be forced to implement, even if the people have rejected such plans using local democratic processes. As noted by Corbett, these negotiations are already well underway, eight and the treaty is expected to be fully implemented in 2024, that is, unless the people of the world wake up to what's happening and beat back this monstrosity. WHO likely seeking to monopolize healthcare worldwide under the guise of a global pandemic, the WHO, the World Economic Forum, WEF, and all its installed leaders in government and private business, were able to roll out a plan that had already been decades in the making. The pandemic was a perfect cover. In the name of keeping everyone safe from infection, the globalists justified unprecedented attacks on democracy, civil liberties and personal freedoms, including the right to choose your own medical treatment. Now, the WHO is gearing up to make its pandemic leadership permanent, extend it into the healthcare systems of every nation, and eventually implement a universal or socialist-like healthcare system as part of the Great Reset. While this is not currently being discussed, there's every reason to suspect that this is part of the plan.
WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus has previously stated that his central priority as Director General of the WHO is to push the world toward universal health coverage. Nine and, considering the WHO changed its definition of pandemic to a worldwide epidemic of a disease, 10 without the original specificity of severe illness that causes high morbidity, 11,12, just about anything could be made to fit the pandemic criterion. The whole premise behind this pandemic treaty is that shared threat requires shared response. But a given threat is almost never equally shared across regions. Take COVID-19 for example. Not only is the risk of COVID not the same for people in New York City and the outback of Australia, it's not even the same for all the people in those areas, as COVID is highly dependent on age and underlying health conditions. The WHO insists that the remedy is the same for everyone everywhere, yet the risks vary widely from nation to nation, region to region, person to person. They intend to eliminate individualized medicine and provide blanket rulings for how a given threat is to be addressed. Without doubt, this can only result in needless suffering, not to mention the loss of individual freedom. How the WHO has wielded previous pandemic instruments to give us an idea of how the WHO might end up misusing this new proposed international instrument on pandemic prevention, preparedness and response, we can look at the International Health Regulations, IHR, 13 which the US signed on to in 2005. The IHR is what empowered the WHO to declare a public health emergency of international concern, FIAC. 14. This is a special legal category that allows the WHO to initiate certain contracts and procedures, including drug and vaccine contracts. As noted by Corbett, the IHR allows the unelected Director General of the WHO to simply declare a FIAC and, suddenly, all member states have to dance to his tune. It basically grants the WHO dictatorial powers over health policy, FIAX have included the phony H1N1 swine flu pandemic in 2009, the inconsequential Zika outbreak in 2016, the overhyped Ebola outbreak in 2019, and, of course, the massively exaggerated COVID pandemic in 2020. All of these FIAX were poorly handled and the WHO was criticized as inept and corrupt 15 in their wake. So, to summarize, through the IHR, the WHO has already been significantly empowered to dictate global health policy with regard to pandemics, and they used that power to bamboozle the nations of the world into spending billions of dollars on countermeasures, especially drugs and vaccines, that didn't work very well. In that sense, the WHO is really just another wealth transfer instrument. The WHO's big pharma collaborators make billions on the taxpayer's dime, while the people of the world are left to suffer the consequences of fast-tracked vaccines. Its handling of the COVID pandemic in particular has been unprecedentedly bad, as they were behind the withholding of early treatment with safe medicines worldwide. As noted by ivermectin advocate Dr. Tess Laurie, 16 the WHO has also claimed the mRNA shots as safe as conventional vaccines, which is nowhere near the truth. Most all available data prove they are the most dangerous drugs ever created. Why would anyone expect the WHO to become less corrupt if given even more power and control? IHR amendments may also restrict rights and freedoms now. The IHR overrode and superseded the US Constitution from the start, but in January 2022, 
The U.S. also submitted Regulatory Amendments 17 that will give the WHO even more power to restrict your rights and freedoms. May 22nd through 28, 2022, the World Health Assembly will gather and vote on these amendments to the IHR and, if passed, they will be enacted into international law. These submitted amendments are in addition to the WHO Pandemic Treaty currently under discussion. As reported by Health Policy Watch, February 23, 2022 18 Washington wants to fast-track a series of nitty-gritty, but far-reaching changes in the existing international health regulations that govern WHO and member state emergency alert and response, for consideration at this year's World Health Assembly, 22-28 May. The U.S. Proposal 19 for major IHR rule changes, obtained by Health Policy Watch, has been a topic of discussion in a series of closed-door meetings of WHO member states, which are considering ways to reform the existing IHR, as well as advancing a whole new WHO convention or other international instrument 20 on pandemic prevention and response, the U.S is expected to lead a parallel track of tightly paced informal member state negotiations to reach consensus on an IHR form resolution for approval at this year's 75th WHA, World Health Assembly. The new WHO convention or other international instrument mentioned here refers to the WHO treaty currently under discussion. An intergovernmental negotiating body, INB, was established as a subdivision of the World Health Assembly in December 2021,21 for the purpose of drafting and negotiating this new pandemic treaty. And, as mentioned, this INB has begun that work. However, as noted by Corbett, this is only the second time in the WHO's history that an INB has been established. The first one was the INB of the WHO Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, 22-22 years ago. So, this is not a well-established process, and it's hard to predict how it will play out. Bill Gates builds germ team for the WHO Another clue about what the WHO intends to do with more power comes from its primary funder, Bill Gates. Gates recently announced he's building a pandemic response team for the WHO, which he would like to be called the Global Epidemic Response and Mobilization or Germ Team. This team will be made up of thousands of disease experts under WHO's purview, and will monitor nations and decide when they need to suspend civil liberties, force populations to wear masks and close borders, the countersignal reports.23 Of course, Gates is also the largest funder of the WHO, when you combine the donations from both his foundation and Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. This and other relationships speak volumes about the corruption still ruling the WHO. At the end of the day, Gates is basically paying the WHO to dictate to the world what they must do to make Gates a ton of money. As noted by the countersignal colon 24 Gates announcement of the germ team coincides with the World Health Organization's drafting of a global pandemic treaty, in the future, the pandemic treaty will not only ensure that member states abide by international health regulations but will also put the WHO in the driver's seat, so to speak. Member states, including the US and Canada, will take their orders directly from the organization. As conservative MP Leslin Lewis explains, the treaty includes 190 countries and would be legally binding. The treaty defines and classifies what is considered a pandemic, and this could consist of broad classifications, including an increase in cancers, heart conditions, strokes, etc. If a pandemic is declared, 
the WHO takes over the global health management of the pandemic. Of even more concern, if this treaty is enshrined, the WHO would be in full control over what gets called a pandemic. They could dictate how our doctors can respond, which drugs can and can't be used, or which vaccines are approved. We would end up with a one-size-fits-all approach for the entire world. A one-size-fits-all response to a health crisis doesn't even work across Canada, let alone the entire globe. It isn't unreasonable to assume that the germ team, as a new branch of the WHO, would oversee making sure member states comply with the pandemic treaty after the draft is finalized and member states sign on. The next question, then, is how the WHO and Bill Gates would be able to monitor every individual in every country to determine whether enough people are sick to justify locking a region down. To this end, the WHO has contracted German-based Deutsche Telekom subsidiary T-Systems to develop a global vaccine passport system, 25 with plans to link every person on the planet to a QR code digital ID. Thus, there will be one pandemic treaty, one germ team, one global vaccine passport, and one World Health Organization to monitor every person on the planet. Under WHO control, vaccine passports are a given indeed, while countries around the world have scrubbed their COVID measures and backed away from vaccine passports, the WHO is still moving ahead with a global vaccine passport program.26 So, if the WHO is given the authority to dictate biosecurity rules for the world, you can bet they'll insist on vaccine passports with built-in digital identity and readiness for a centralized programmable central bank digital currency, CBDC. As reported by the Western Standard Colon 27 the WHO fully intends to provide support to its 194 member states to facilitate the implementation of the digital verification technology for countries' national and regional verification of vaccine status. COVID-19 affects everyone. Countries will therefore only emerge from the pandemic together. Vaccination certificates that are tamper-proof and digitally verifiable build trust. WHO is therefore supporting member states in building national and regional trust networks and verification technology. The WHO's gateway service also serves as a bridge between regional systems. It can also be used as part of future vaccination campaigns and home-based records, said Garrett Mell, unit head of the WHO's Department of Digital Health and Innovation, on Deutsche Telekom's website. Can we stop the international pandemic treaty? The question now is, can we stop this international pandemic instrument that the WHO is seeking? With short notice, the WHO announced it would accept public comment on the treaty for a total of five days. 28 The World Council for Health, WCH, was among the few that acted quickly enough to submit a comment in opposition of the treaty. Laurie delivered the WCH's submission.29 The proposal to take control of pandemics at a central WHO level is untenable and threatens a global society. It is foolhardy to even suggest that a one-size-fits-all response to a pandemic crisis across geographic zones characterized by hugely different parameters could possibly be covered by a central bureaucratic process. The need for local decision-making is of prime importance. Robert Clancy, PhD in an April 26, 2022, update on Substack, Laurie wrote colon 30 Despite the lack of notice, many grassroots organizations did what they could to spread the word, and the World Council for Health's hashtag Stop the Treaty campaign reached an astonishing 415 million people. 
Many of you made written submissions expressing your concerns. So many of you in fact, that I hear the WHO's website crashed on the last day. One person who missed the deadline was Professor Robert Clancy, a leading clinical immunologist in Canada. He sent the comment he would have wanted to submit to Laurie, who included it in her post colon 31 The proposal to take control of pandemics at a central WHO level is untenable and threatens a global society. I am in receipt of the World Council for Health Response, and the superbly summarized view by Dr. Tess Laurie. These concerns reflect the across-the-board view of most Australian doctors, the failure to understand the restrictions of systemic vaccination for mucosal infection and the dangers of accumulated suppression that follows mindless booster programs, and failure to interrogate the massive databases regarding adverse events of genetic vaccines are but two of the serious mistakes perpetuated by the WHO, it is foolhardy to even suggest that a one-size-fits-all response to a pandemic crisis across geographic zones characterized by hugely different parameters could possibly be covered by a central bureaucratic process, the need for local decision-making is of prime importance. The rule of science and the rule of the doctor-patient relationship must determine any response to a pandemic, and current experience where the rule of the narrative has so distorted disease outcomes, supported by the WHO, must make very clear the foolishness of rewarding incompetence and corruption with even greater powers. I write this as the most experienced clinical immunologist in Australia, and a leading research scientist in mucosal immunology with a focus on host-parasite relationship. Professor Robert Clancy AM FRS NMBBS BAST Med PhD DSC FRAC FRCP FRCP C Make Your Voice Heard in June While Many, like Clancy, didn't get a chance to participate, the WHO has announced it will allow for two more days of public comment, June 16 and 17, 2022. As noted by Laurie Colon 32 please also be aware of the proposed amendments to the international health regulations, to be voted on this May at the World Health Assembly. Like the pandemic treaty, this is another move to seize greater powers and override the sovereign laws of individual nations. Some say this is more significant than the pandemic treaty, if voted in, it means the loss of our sovereignty from this November. James Rogoski has written extensively about this on his Substack.33 There seems to be a concerted effort by the WHO and its controllers to attack our sovereignty from all angles. It is important we make it clear that we do not recognize the WHO as an authority over us and that we will not tolerate this abuse of power. We are sovereign and will not be bound by the undertakings of corrupt officials who pretend to act on our behalf when signing away the inherent rights of the world's people. They do not act for us and we will not be bound. I encourage you to make plans to have your voice heard June 16 and 17, 2022. Unfortunately, the WHO has not yet released any submission details. Your best bet right now is to sign up for the WCH's newsletter. The last time, they issued links and instructions on how to submit your comment, and are sure to do the same for the June submission window. You can subscribe at the bottom of this page, or on the WCH's homepage. To block the IHR amendments at the May 2022 World Health Assembly, we need to flood our respective delegations with opposition. A list of U.S. delegates can be found in Rogoski's Substack article, Speaking Truth to Power. For contact information for other nations' delegates, I would suggest contacting the regional office and ask for a list, 
see regions in the blue section at the bottom of the World Health Assembly's webpage. It's also possible that the WCH will publish guidance on it, so be sure to sign up for their newsletter. So there you have it, my friends. Um, the expose is repeating some of the information that you kind of already knew, but what we didn't know was um, they are extending the um, submissions um, of opposition for the WHO's um, pandemic treaty, and they're giving a two-day window, which is June, June 16th and 17th, 2022. Um, so you can follow that. You can you can try and follow that um, and, and and submit that way, but you also heard the expose tell you that... Um, you gotta you gotta reach out to your delegates. Uh, it has to be overwhelming uh, for every single uh, delegate, provincially and federally, um, <clears throat> to to hear your voice and, and say no 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 no, we're not doing this. We're not giving up our sovereignty to an unelected globalist organization. We are not doing it. So, kind of what we what you know I've been I've been saying on the show for quite a few shows now. You gotta. You gotta, you gotta, the pen is mightier than the sword, I guess, with this one. You, you gotta get involved. You gotta write your MLA or your MP, and you gotta express your absolute disgust that this is even being considered. And if you don't get a response, then write them again. <laughs> As you guys know, I'm doing this all the time. So it's, it's just, it has to be a, a, a huge monumental effort by all of us to make it known to all our elected uh, public servants. Let me emphasize servants that the people do not want this in Canada. Okay, my friends, that's where we're going to end this one. So like always, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. The message button comes directly to me. So use it if you've got information that you want to share that could uh, potentially be show worthy. Or if you just want to comment on the show, all is welcome. Uh, you can you can try our email as well. That is CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. Like I have uh, previously warned on, on previous shows, uh, I'm not as good at getting back via email as I am on Facebook or Telegram. Uh, the Telegram page is t.me backslash CPR underscore two. So feel free to use that avenue as well. Um, and if you're a website person, if you prefer that to everything else, then it is CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode, my friends. And as always, in all thy sons, command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.